Let's have a sincere conversation about events across the nation and topics for our own morality. Let's openly discuss in an environment of trust where perception is reality. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is one that should sound incredibly familiar to you, especially if you've gotten this far already. The one and only Jeremiah Craig. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on. Great. Uh, You're welcome. And it's exciting to have you on. Um, Just so everybody listening knows, Jeremiah and I have known each other for quite a long time. We uh, spent a lot of time working together, um, and then we've remained friends post to that um, work engagement, uh, which has been a lot of fun. It's been fun to follow your career, uh, JC, as I will be calling you. Um, Again, Jeremiah Craig equals JC, so I will be calling you JC as the familiar. I hope that's okay for this podcast. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Everybody calls me JC, the ones who are close to me. But I always introduce myself as Jeremiah Craig because that is my website. So, Well, and everybody should know that because during this podcast or after, they should go to your website. I'm just saying they, they should check it out, especially after they've already absorbed the awesome intro music. For that, I would like to publicly thank you for that. That was awesome. And the outro music, love it. Perfect. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for uh, letting me do that. I I love making short intro music uh, here and there for several different reasons, like videos and podcasts, whatever. Uh, It's a lot of fun. I do it for my own web series and podcasts. Uh, It's, I don't know, it's just something that is a lot of fun to do for just to get stuff out, right? I, it's a lot easier to record something that's a few seconds long than three minutes. So it just keeps me recording. Well, that's interesting to know. Um, and I'll just ask you this, and then I want to tell a little story about you. But is it easier to record something that's short? Is there not more pressure to get something that is short? Because I feel like if you're recording, and this is, again, this is about perceptionist reality. So this is my perception of the recording process. I feel like when you're recording and you have um, an epic series, which you can talk about if you want, that is a continuation from start to finish. Um, But isn't recording a short version more difficult because there's no way to save yourself later? Meaning like that 15 second blurb or whatever, or however the media snippet has to be perfect. Whereas in like a song, you can purposely take people down a path and then recover or go, there's more of a story there. Or is it like you said for you, because you, I mean, you're an awesome artist. Um, is that easier for you because you can just get it done and move on? It's easier because I record it over and over and over again. So if I am recording something that's 15 seconds long, I can just run the recording program or run the tape, if you will, as they used to say, and just continue to play it uh, over and over and over again. So maybe I might have played the intro to Perception is Reality uh, 
15 times and then chose the best one. So it's a lot of pressure off of myself to get it right, right off the bat, because I just know that I can continue to play it. If I'm recording a five minute song where I'll also be overdubbing things and it changes more frequently, then I have to stop and then go back. So the process is more, it's more, I guess, constricted in that respect because I have to stop the creation process and then start again. But when I'm recording shorter songs, I can just continue it and it's not a big deal. Hmm. That's incredibly interesting. Thank you for that. And that kind of fits into one of the themes of the podcast here is that perception is reality and, and you've corrected my perception on that. And I think that's congruent for a lot of things in life is that people miss the bigger picture. And in this sense, the bigger picture is the five minute song, which is multi-layered. Um, there's many, many tracks, as you said, that make one of those as spectacular as they are when you're recording. Um, and Yes, everybody is going to hear me be a little kiss ashes to you because um, I do really like you and your work and stuff and you're my friend and I want to promote you so I don't care what people think. Um, <laughs> their perception might be, oh, he's really kissing his ass. Well, yes, I'm going to. I'm going to promote the hell out of JC um, because that's what I want to do um, and I don't care what people think. But <laughs> Thank on, on you a, very much. <laughs> on a different note. Real quick, way back when, I'm just going to tell the story and then we can get into today's topic, which we haven't even discussed. And I, I'm curious to find out what you picked. Um, one of the things about this podcast is being the second episode, uh, people will understand is that I don't necessarily have a topic picked. I want the guest to pick and catch me off guard, or I want to pick a topic when I have a brave guest like Clint. Clint didn't really know what we were talking about. And I believe that catching somebody off guard like that helps make a more honest conversation that uh, helps get out these perceptions and helps us flush out what a reality reality of a situation is. And Clint was um, great. And by catching people off guard, they know upfront that's what the premise is. I'm not totally making them come in blind. They know that uh, we're going to have a potentially awkward conversation. But one little story that I love, um, which I probably shouldn't love so much, but I do is that when uh, JC and I were working together, there was a, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. There was, uh, just in Dollywood, if anybody's ever heard of Dollywood, they were looking for new acts. And I was dead set that you and your brother Levi were going to take over Dollywood and just be the kings, the brother kings of Dollywood. <laughs> I was like, it yeah. was, there was no doubt in my mind. In so much as that I think well, the reality of the situation is I think I was pretty convincing because you and Levi got in a car and drove down there. And yep. if I'm not mistaken, you guys did crush the audition, um, which I'm very proud of. But for some reason, they didn't accept you, which, you know, maybe if Dolly ends up listening to this uh, podcast someday, then she can uh, realize that uh, her organization missed out. But there's still time to correct that, Dolly. Still time. <laughs> Um, what was yeah, that, that was like? so much fun. What, what was, was Go ahead. It was incredible. I mean, your, your encouragement to go do that 
was uh, exactly what we needed. And I remember it was in January or February or something because the park was closed. You know, the attendance is down during the winter. Nobody wants to go to these places then. Uh, so we got in a car in Rochester, New York, and I remember it was like seven degrees. Uh, woke up at like four o'clock in the morning, got in the car, drove 13 hours down to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, where Dollywood is, and spent the night at a Super 8. The next morning, we got up super early uh, and went to the auditions. We were, I don't know, we must have been like 20 or 30 spots in. We were just waiting for them to call our name. And we were watching all these acts play the songs that they had prepared to show these judges. There were about four judges. And every single person got, I don't know, 10 seconds into one song. And they were like, okay, that's all we need to hear next. Every once in a while, they would have somebody play 10 seconds or 30 seconds into a song and then, okay, do you have a slower song, they would ask. And then the person would play another song, uh, but then it would only be 10, 15 seconds. Okay, next. Finally, they called Levi and I's number. And by this time, geez, we were so nervous. Like, oh, we came all this way to play 10 seconds for a couple of judges who weren't really interested. It didn't seem like in being there. Uh, and we started playing this song and we got pretty far into it. It was a, it was a song uh, called In the Pines, I believe. It's an old bluegrass song. Oh, I love a, when you guys do that. You, you posted that video, I think, and then um, mm -hmm. you guys doing that. Yeah, we love playing that song. And we got about halfway through it, like about a minute through. And the, then they said, okay, that's enough of that song. Uh, do you guys have anything else? So we started playing uh, one of Levi's original songs. And we got about 30 seconds into that one. And they're like, okay, do you guys have other songs? So then I started playing Busy My Spade, which is a song that I had released in 2011 and one that you had a lot of influence and help in creating both in the recording of and in the music video production. So I thank you for that. And uh, then they were like, okay, that was, that was good. Uh, do you guys have another song that you could play for us? And then we played uh, an instrumental, uh, Cripple Creek. Or, or no, 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 it was this uh, Doc Watson song. We were just playing Cripple Creek in the, in the hotel the, that night previous to practice. Uh, we played a Doc Watson song. Uh, and we ended up playing pieces of four songs for these judges. And then we got back in the car and drove 13 hours home uh, because it was, it was still the morning time and we could made it, make, it, make that trip. So this was in one weekend. We made it down to Tennessee and tried out and then came back. We never heard anything from the judges and we were feeling really good because we were the only acts who were asked to perform four songs. Uh, but we never heard anything, and I don't know whether it's because we didn't fit in the 
pop country vein that Dollywood was looking for, if we weren't generic enough for the theme park, or if it, we just weren't the style that they were looking for in that particular uh, set of of performers, right? I mean, I'm sure that yeah. they had something in mind for that tryout, uh, but to perform for these judges and play more than anyone else just made us feel really good, even though we didn't get the spot. Yeah, it was a, I, I mean, I love that story. And, uh, you know, I, again, I feel partially responsible <laughs> for that. Yeah, trip. partially. Uh, <laughs> I, you're huge. You're, you're a huge reason why we made that trip. You're the one that found the whole thing to begin with. Yeah. Um, I can be a butt in ski at times. That's for sure. Uh, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that experience uh, helped your path in some positive way, even though you didn't get the Dollywood thing. And, you know, I think uh, the immortal uh, Garth Brooks has a song about you have to be careful what you wish for because you might get it or something, or thank God for unanswered prayers or whatever that is. Um, so maybe not getting it led you to something else you were supposed to do. Well, I think just that being able to travel at the drop of a hat and not thinking that it was that big of a deal because it's really not. I mean, if you are passionate about something and you love something, then you're willing to drive 13 hours to go do it or even just to have a new experience around the thing that you love to do. I love playing music. I've toured all over the country playing music. So uh, that was not a big deal for me and Levi, because I had already been on tour with the Jack Swift band, which was the, my band that I had in college. So uh, driving to do something like that, uh, I don't think twice about. Uh, and after that, even though we didn't get the spot, I realized the kinds of experiences you can have on the road. And since then I've been on several other tours and have driven hours for something that's seemingly wasn't worth it at the time if you just look at it at face value but then when you're done and you're home and you've done the driving you've had the experiences uh there's so much more that you can get out of it i've gotten uh ideas for songs i've gotten content i've gotten all of these different things that i've been able to use from making trips like this so it's definitely impacted the way that i think about traveling for music well that's good to know and you said a a couple things and and I promise listeners we will get into the topic today's topic but uh, <laughs> a couple things that actually fit into the overall theme of the podcast is people don't often perceive that they can just get up and travel it's possible and uh, I don't think enough people travel uh, and see the country and do things and experience things so that's good to know that you got that out of it and the content because you did do um, uh, what's, uh, I'm sorry, J JC, I'm running a, a blank. What's the, um, show you did about touring? Like you did a couple, what'd you call that? Um, it's called Expressway Balladeer. There you go. But I didn't start that series yet when we made that trip. No, uh, no, we, but was, that seems like you did after. Yes, I did. And we did videotape a lot of that, uh, trip. So that was like the first exploration into making travel videos uh, on that level and I, I can't 
for the life of me remember where I put that video. It's not on YouTube and I want to put it up there. So I, I've been trying to find it. I think it's on my hard drive that my dog wrecked and oh. I have to take it to Best Buy to get it fixed. Uh, but I've been uh, procrastinating on that until the price goes down uh, on repairing that type of technology. So it's been years, but I think it's there. So I can't wait to get that hard drive fixed. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So thank you for taking me down memory lane and thanks for everybody for listening to that. And hopefully um, after this, I'll be posting the episode up and a blog with reflections and, and JC, I hope you'll post your reflections and then you'll post the link to that Genesis video. Um, when you get it, when you get it picked. Um, Without a doubt. All right. So what is today's topic? What, what are we going to discuss? I'm excited to, to, to know what you're going to pull out of your hat here. Yeah. I mean, we were, we, we've gone down the path of music right now and I'm just going to flip that on its head because I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about something uh, interesting that I have a different perspective on than what I've seen in the media and things like that. And I was trying to think about something that I could talk about with music, but I don't feel like my perceptions on anything in the music industry are particularly that grand, but speaking on content and marketing and promotion, I thought I would uh, want to discuss the use of data and how Facebook is using data, how Google uses data, because that's come up in the news and the media as being a really bad thing. And I have been overlooking the bad with the amount of good and opportunity that data gives us as just hobbyists or uh, entrepreneurs, musicians, independent people who want to share their love and passion with other folks. Uh, so I wanted to talk about data, if that was cool with you. Oh, I am very excited to have this conversation with you because as much as I want to be neutral about a situation and I will try to maintain my neutrality while you teach me why this could be potentially a good thing, I will be upfront, honest, and say that I am very anti-data collection. And mm -hmm. I think Facebook is a necessary evil with a capital E-V-I-L because of the data that they do collect. If somebody doesn't know, download what data they have on you. It's possible. Go on the Facebook, um, the help section. It's there. It's scary. And this may be because I wear a tinfoil hat and I'm a conspiracy, conspiracy theorist by nature, but some of the patents that Facebook's Facebook files are incredibly intrusive and scary to me. So with that, I will, I will say that um, I will promise to you, my good friend, that I will try not to let those feelings of negativity impact my inquisitive nature for you to teach me why that's a good thing. Because I feel like that's what you're going to say is like, this can benefit you. So please share with me that. Yes. And, you know, I hear these, these, uh, the, the argument that the data is horrible and the data collection is scary uh, and it can get scary. Um, like the, the amount of information that 
these companies collect about us uh, is overwhelming. But the fact that they do collect it, and this is where I come from on this topic, is incredible for small business owners in order to compete with the larger businesses who may not uh, know how to use it or are too slow to realize how to use it or have their own data collection services uh, in place. Uh, it gives people like me who are trying to make an impact on music uh, or trying to help small businesses, uh, one-man shows, mom-and-pop shops make an impact online. If Facebook did not collect the data and sell it through the use of advertising on their websites, uh, on their social media site, then that would put a larger strain on us, the smaller folks, in making an impact online. So, uh, for example, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of drag this out a bit with a story. Go ahead. Earlier this year, I did research, and I do research all the time. I've I've gone to um, I've gone to the Rochester Institute of Technology. I have my degree in advertising and public relations, and ever since then, I've really thought about how I can use this degree to promote. Uh, my passion for music, but also the passions of other folks as well, just trying to get the story out there in the world. And every once in a while, I will test my ideas of how to share stories. So in March of this year, I decided I wanted to see if there were anything available online uh, that I wasn't talking about, that I was interested in talking about, so that I could bring those findings to the companies that I was working for at the time. I was working for a tech company this year in Seattle, and also I worked for a public relations agency in Seattle this year. And uh, during my research, uh, while I was home, trying to figure out what I was gonna make content about so I could take new strategies to these companies, I found that there was an interesting opportunity in cowboy boots. Uh, when I'm doing research, I look for things that I'm interested in, like I said. And I start by looking at the data that Google has collected on search terms. Uh, so every time somebody searches for something, they log that in their system and there's something like 15 trillion searches a day and 30 or 15 percent of those i don't remember but it's a large percent of that number especially when you're looking at 15 trillion uh that google has never seen before so they are just combing through a whole bunch of different data and that is at everyone's disposal through google's keyword planner and you can go in and search for any term that you're interested in. Uh, for example, I searched cowboy boots to see if people were searching for cowboy boots, what they were searching for in particular uh, regarding cowboy boots, and how much competition there were around those keywords 
in terms of ads uh, and who were buying ads around that uh, keyword set. So when I, when I did this, I noticed that there was a large amount of people who were searching for cowboy boots. It was something in the range of uh, 10,000 to 100,000 people a month uh, were searching for something related to cowboy boots and that the uh, keyword competition on these uh, search terms were very low, meaning that a lot of people weren't buying keyword ad advertising, uh, which is interesting in that that also associates to the amount of content that people are making. So it doesn't always have to go back to advertising. It can go back to the opportunity of uh, content that people are searching for. So if there is a low competition as, as far as people buying advertising around a specific search term, usually that correlates to uh, there being a low amount of content just available online in general around a specific subject. So I decided that I would just sort of try. I, I mean, I was thinking that maybe there just wasn't any opportunity because people weren't finding any value in their searching for cowboy boots, like the cowboy boot companies uh, maybe saw this and they tried things and it just didn't work, right? Because there's, there's always that possibility. Right. Uh, and I decided to just make a video about cowboy boots and put it on YouTube because Google keywords, YouTube, uh, people search very similarly on both of them. In fact, I, I believe that YouTube is the second largest search engine uh, under Google. Uh, and of course, you, uh, YouTube is owned by Google. So a lot of people search the same on both of those. And I put a video about cowboy boots for a test on YouTube and it did so well. Uh, I was blown away by the response of me just randomly talking about things that I like about cowboy boots. It, people made a connection with it. I made a connection with them uh, through their comments. So I started to make more. And throughout this year, I've made 30 videos, around 30, maybe just a little less, about cowboy boots and I have never felt better about the content that I'm making because I've been introduced to this community that seemingly was there, but just under uh, a whole bunch of other types of content. And I've been amazed at the response and the people that I have met through this amazing opportunity that I found through the data that Google collects. So I love the opportunity that data gives content creators or hobbyists or people like that. Um, and that was a test uh, for, for that specific so, thing. So what you're, what you're saying is the creepiness of Big Brother, Facebook and Google who watch everything that we do and have been exposed for, if you have Google Messenger on your phone, it is listening, Siri's always listening. If you have an Android device, that's always listening. Like they're always listening. And any Amazon Echo um, or whatever the product is that you have and you can say, hey, fill in the blank and it responds, it's always listening. So the creepiness of that 
And that all of that data that they're keeping on us and our searches, you can't go to a Facebook or you can't go on the internet without seeing the Facebook button on there or the Facebook link, uh, the little icon on a web page. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that means that that, that web page is linked by Facebook. There's cookies involved there. There's tracking cookies there from Facebook. Yes. So what you're saying is yes. all of this data in your search, you were like, okay, I'm Jeremiah Craig. I wear cowboy boots all the time. Um, I like them. I have several pairs. Let, let me just randomly see what comes up with this content. It fits in with my lifestyle, my music, my passion. So why can't I share that with everybody else? So you, because of your skills and your background, you have the tools to utilize these types of uh, search engines and, and things online found a niche with cowboy boots. So all of this data that you've tapped into is random people searching cowboy boots and, or maybe a combination of the word cowboy and then boots or something like that. And like, I'm looking at my Facebook page. I just pulled it up and I, you know, there's ads on, on the side. Um, so I don't know what Facebook's trying to tell me, but, um, the two ads that come up is one's for Febreze car. Apparently my car smells, which I haven't searched anything car related or Febreze related, which is strange. And then general tools, uh, tool smart Bluetooth, something on from Amazon. Those are the two main ads that I see on my page, which doesn't make any sense either. Um, because this morning search was on a dock station for my um, ThinkPad, uh, so I can wire it in when I do these podcasts versus going Wi-Fi to get better bandwidth to record. So you're saying all of this is good thing, but for, so you you've tapped into it. It's good. I, I get it. How how then can somebody else utilize this data? Because I don't think people and the general population understand that it's there. I don't think a small business understands. And is there a line between Google and Facebook collecting data on that small business versus as much as that the small business can utilize on their behalf? Uh, it's, it depends on your approach, I would guess. If you are approaching your use of Facebook as a small business, uh, then you would approach it as everything is business on Facebook. So those ads that showed up on the side of, of your Facebook feed uh, have to do with something about how those companies are targeting you based off of what you've done in the past or the data that Facebook has collected on you. Whenever I buy ads in Facebook, I can uh, target people, and this is the beauty of data as far as Facebook is concerned. They are the best. They have so much great data um, on, on folks that I can get so detailed. I can say, okay, do you have a new house that you've just moved into in the past three years? And are you married with two kids? Uh, and then are those two kids uh, below two years old or are they teenagers and do you live in 
uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and a 10-mile radius of that city. And then I can run ads just based off of those uh, requirements right there. Plus, there are so many other things, right? But this is how detailed it can get. Um, and it's incredible to see the return from that data uh, and running those ads, especially because it's so cheap. So if a company is approaching their use of Facebook in this way, uh, you can spend under $10 and get in front of people and make sales. So I've made a, a video for my dad's company here in Geneseo, New York, uh, Twisted Willow Fabrication. And I ran ads on a video that I created to people in and around the county, Livingston County. Spent $4 on running this ad. And he got a call from a person a couple towns over about doing a project that another fabrication company could not do and was able to make a sale off of that $4 advertisement that I did. And it, yeah, the sale was like $70 because it was a residential thing, but that's $4 to $70. And uh, the return there is incredible because not only did I reach those folks who made the sale, but I also made uh, contact with people who had never heard about the company. So there's brand recognition now from that $4 spent. Uh, yes, it can get creepy. I'm not going to argue with it with that, uh, but it depends on how you use it. If you are good at targeting or you have a better uh, idea of who to target based off of the context of the content that you're creating, then it can actually be a huge help because this person was not able to finish the project that she wanted with another fabrication company. And because of this content, she was introduced to my dad's company and was able to finish something that she didn't even think was possible. Um, these are the impacts that you can make with the data uh, on a positive level. Sure, uh, we're, we're scared of, of these companies releasing our uh, social security numbers, uh, phone numbers, email addresses, because we don't want to be hacked, because our personality is really important to us. Um, and Facebook, uh, hasn't given out any social security numbers. As far as I know, I don't even think they have mine. Uh, but I'm sure that they know it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, it's interesting to just notice the power that it gives the small business uh, or the hobbyist or the person who just wants to reach out to somebody like me or to somebody else who knows what to do with the data or has a better idea and go with it so that they can reach the people that they want, giving them an edge over the larger companies or at least putting them on the same playing field. We've never had this opportunity as smaller businesses or hobbyists, never. So I, I am super excited and I 100% believe that the positives outweigh the negatives of data collection. Well, it's definite uh, by the tone of your voice, you're excited about this and the potential for you on that side. So excited. And it's something admittedly I hadn't 
thought about because you know my perception coming from the user base and my um, background and career in telecommunications and IT, uh, knowing how much data that people are collecting on an individual is 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 always been scary. I can see that these things, this data collection can be a good thing if used properly, but how much is too much data to have on somebody? Uh, that seems like an awfully large responsibility for an organization to have, and, and Facebook has had some issues in negative press in the past. Mm -hmm. but how much is too much? You know, that's really tough to say because you never know what kind of data is going to be useful in the future. I mean, as uh, there's more advancements in machine learning and AI, uh, we're being able to see some of the uses of uh, of some of this data that's been collected in completely new ways. I was working for the tech company earlier this year, and that was like at the beginning of the year, um, from January to March uh, of 2018. I worked for them last year in 2017 as well. But there's a story that we had there where we were doing uh, work for a lawyer firm, and they wanted to increase the speed at which they were billing. Uh, they were trying to lower the amount of time they were spending on contacting accounts that weren't paying them or weren't replying, right? And they were able to take some of the data that they collected on these clients or uh, folks who weren't paying them. And uh, because they had collected that in the past, they used machine learning technology, which is not AI, it, it, it's, uh, it's different than AI. It helps from what I understand, and I'm not a, I'm an, an engineer, so you'll have to give me some leeway on this. But as far as I understand, it responds to the set of circumstances that you code into it, and then notices uh, correlations between these things and connections and things that may make a difference. So through the use of data that they didn't think was relevant, they were able to put together a, a formula by which they were able to save time, time by reaching out to those clients uh, who seemingly had a better chance of paying their bill at that particular time based off of the data that they had. Um, through machine learning and it worked um and you never know what data is going to be useful in the future so it's really tough to say okay well that's definitely uh another good story um it doesn't i, I will say that i'm am learning quite a bit which is what i wanted i'm not sure that you've changed my opinion on it mm -hmm. but I definitely can see that there is, a, uh, can be good to it, um, but there's some new things coming out like Facebook filed a patent where they, they want to predictively um, tell companies where they think you might be traveling to using location tracking on your device. Um, let's just say that I'm heading up the street and Facebook is gonna alert the, um, 
the donut shop that I'm on my way, but really I'm going to the office supply store next door. I mean, there's, I'm sure that there's some work that needs to be done there, but that's still, um, these things still worry me as a consumer. Like I can see from now that you've expressed and I'm going to see if I've done a good job of paying attention. Cause that's again, part of what this podcast is about is, is about learning. So that donut shop who might not have um, otherwise entertained me as a client for health reasons, whatever, fill in the blank. They can advertise on my ways now and say, okay, uh, David's on his way up. Let's throw a thing up based on, you know, maybe some machine learning that you just talked about or some AI, right? And maybe I'll go in there. Um, but still, uh, and now that I think about it, Waze probably does that a lot because it does pop up like when I'm near a gas station or whatever, and, or if I'm stopped at a light, Waze tells me like, hey, go get a coffee here. I don't even drink coffee, but I guess it's location-based advertising. Uh, mm -hmm. My point is, I guess you've given me an interesting new way to look at these things. I will consider how that works, but as a consumer, um, I don't know if I'm ready to take off my tinfoil hat just yet. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, it, it's, it, it does get creepy sometimes, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, Facebook is free and this is how that they, they make money is they sell your data. And I mean, I mean, they make it clear to everybody uh, that they will be using uh, data to make money um, <clears throat> through use of their advertisements or uh, through partnerships like with Spotify and, uh, and other partnerships that they've had for years. Uh, and basically if you ever use Facebook to sign in to any app or any website or any other service, Facebook knows that you're there. And uh, it, they've made it really easy for us to do anything and everything. Uh, so has Google and so has Amazon. The price of that ease of life or ease of uh, speed at which we go through our lives. Like we don't want to set up a new account for every single thing. How many different passwords do we need for all of these things? If we could just look it up to our Google, Facebook, or Amazon account, like it just makes it easy, but that's the cost mm -hmm. that's at which, uh, at which we, we, we pay for this ease of use. Um, and then the benefits of that cost also return to us because then we are advertised to things that we are already interested in, uh, such as, you know, whatever, whatever you are interested in at that time, I guess for, for me, it's cowboy boots. So, Right. Uh, just yesterday, and uh, now that I'm back visiting home, I have watched television. I'm, I don't watch tr traditional television. I'm streaming. I do Netflix, you know, Hulu, things like that, Amazon Prime. So they know what I like. They know that I like all the Marvel movies and things like that. And I can get advertised uh, to about, uh, you know, Spider-Man, the next Spider-Man movie or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and with cowboy boots, Facebook knows that I like cowboy boots. I'm posting about it all the time. I have a, a Facebook group where we just always talk about our cowboy boots and different things around them, like what kinds of exotic leathers do we use? Is it cool to use these leathers? What about heels? Things like that. So Facebook knows these things. And 
they can serve me ads based off of the, those cowboy boots, and I'm interested in them. Uh, on television, I get ads uh, for, you know, this, uh, I saw an ad just the other day for a commercial for a breast cancer medication. Now, for me, I, I, that has no relevance to me at all right now. Uh, if this company was to use their data to find, and now this, this can get into ethics one way or the other, but I'm just using this as an example because I was, uh, I was thinking about it based off of this commercial because it had no relevance to me at all. Um, but if they were to get into the data and look at people who are going to hospitals, who are more, uh, who are more active in uh, the pink ribbon uh, stuff and who are more active in the breast cancer awareness community, then their efforts would have been much more well received than it was with me because I have no interest in uh, in buying breast cancer medication and I don't know anybody in my life right now who hasn't. Hopefully I never will. Um, so so spam advertisement was money not well spent. Not well spent at all. And it cost a fortune. Television commercials are so overpriced and the uh the statistics that you get back from those commercials whenever you run them are completely guesswork like you don't know if somebody watched it sure you can go off of nielsen ratings but if it's just because somebody's television on is on doesn't mean that they haven't pressed mute doesn't mean that they're looking down at their phone doesn't mean that they've gone to make popcorn for a second it people could do anything well with you the do, availability of go ahead I'm, I'm sorry i was just gonna say you do know that smart tv samsung in particular was um it does track that if you have a smart tv they know that during certain advertisements when you're mute when you've muted when you've tried to skip past an advertisement if you're watching, um, you know, if you have that ability, uh, they know when you're f switching channels. Um, smart TVs do track that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, I mean, they, do they track when you look down at your phone or when you're- No, not yet. <laughs> not, not yet, it'll, it'll get there, I'm sure. Um, yeah, probably uh, based but, off of Wi-Fi and internet oh, usage. Absolutely, because they'll say, okay, um, you know, David's usage, he went to Facebook during this commercial about uh, adult diapers or whatever, I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. Not that adult incontinence is something that should be taken lightly um, for anybody who's listening that might suffer from that or in the future. But what I, you sparked something in my mind, and I want to end on this note and say that uh, you will probably... Uh, I'm thinking about doing a panel on this topic and you'll probably be one of the guests if I decide to get off my uh, derriere and do this discussion is that this data collection that you, you've talked about, which can be used in a good way, is it too much of a good thing? And I mean that, and I don't, I didn't intend to drag you down a political circle today. Um, and the panel that I want to talk about is this specific topic of seeing all of the same things that you search for and being spoon-fed only the same things that you are interested in, does that cause uh, 
a false belief that everybody, a misperception that everybody believes the same thing that you do. It's, it's, it's confirmation bias, right? I think is the term that I'm looking for. Um, so for you, for in your example, cowboy boots, everything you see now is cowboy boot related. Now, what if we take that example on data collection and we just um, throw that into politics and I'm not going to name anybody's name. I'm not going to name a political party, but I'm just saying if I believe in uh, green grass and I keep searching about green grass and I just see more about green grass and then my confirmation bias is then affirmed that green grass is the best thing since brown grass or sliced bread or whatever. Is too much data collection and too much spoon feeding, does that cause a negative cycle? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm glad you brought that up because ultimately what you are served are the things that you are surrounding yourself with in your own bubble. My perspective is on this, is that it is not Facebook's or Google's or Amazon's responsibility to make sure that you surround yourself with different perspectives. That is the responsibility of each and every one of us to actually go out and explore the world, whether there is an internet or not. So we need to, as a human being and a human race, to actually expose ourselves to different perspectives, to different things, because at the end of the day, companies are there to sell us things. And the ways that they sell us things, whether it's a political uh, campaign or a roll of toilet paper, is through the things that we surround ourselves with day in and day out based off of our internet usage and what we do online. So it's not the company's responsibility. We can't lay that responsibility on them. We need to take responsibility for our own actions, our own beliefs, and what we do as a person, not the companies. It just comes down to that, in my opinion. Well, I am not going to disagree with you there, um, because I do believe that people need to take more responsibility. And now you've just um, solidified the fact that I do want to get this panel discussion going on this topic. Uh, and I think of a, I can think of you and a few other people now that would be good guests for that. But do you think that people are capable of going out and seeking alternate point of views? And before you answer, let me just give you a little bit of meat to help you out here, potentially. Yeah. Is my own view is that um, I refer to people as sheep quite a bit. Uh, and I refer to them as gen pop, general population. And I like to study crowd theory, which is why I call people sheep. I think people in our nature, we want to, well, this is my perception and my belief, and I could be wrong, and I'm hoping that I'm wrong, that we classify things too much. Like we want to have different races. We want to put everything in a neat little container. So our feeble little brains can understand, process, and uh, move on. And all of that, I think, leads into confirmation bias. So if everything is green grass, then, you know, the grass is green. 
And then if I see greener grass, well, I want that greener grass. But you know, you've, you've probably heard me say in one of my managerial fortune cookie talks, um, the grass may be greener, but that just means there's more fertilizer, um, which people can read into that. If you're not reading between lines, that means more bullshit. Um, <laughs> are people truly capable of that? Or from what I've seen, I think that they get happy in this, like, okay, the, the, the um, endorphins rush, the dopamine, whatever that substance kicks in and they're like okay it's like getting a like on facebook or instagram or whatever like okay somebody likes me somebody agrees with me i feel like that's just a spiral and i do want to say that i'm not arguing with you i do not believe that it's the responsibility of a large corporation to feed you different points of view because they want to sell to you their goal is to grow but how do you then um I forgot the original question. See, I'm just now going on a monologue. Sorry about that. Hopefully you remember what the initial question is. But then there's this question is, how do we get people to look outside their bubble? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I think the original question was like, are people capable of it? How do we, are they capable and how do we get them to do that? I think they have to want to do it. I mean, yeah, people love to be comfortable. I mean, that's the, the we, we just love it. We love order. We love to be in our place. Um, I... I love to be in my own bubble, right? It's really comfortable. I just, I, I think that whether or not you choose to go out of it, I, I think that you need to realize that it's there and that's the biggest thing. If you realize that you have a bubble, then maybe you won't be so quick to generalize about all of these things and putting people directly in their defined space whether that definition comes from you or from somebody else or from the media or from the government, right? I think that if we realize that uh, we surround our things, surround ourselves with things that we like, then uh, it will be half the battle. But I think that uh, this, whole, this whole thing about people surrounding themselves with the things that they like and then that being their reality. I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast, right? That's becomes right. their perception, which then becomes their reality. Correct. It's, it's, you have to realize that there are other perceptions and that's only your bubble. Um, and that's half the battle. It really is. And once, once people realize that it's not just them, then I think that's a huge step. Uh, and and we'll get there. You know, the internet is still new. Um, I mean, these things were happening forever. We've always had clicks here and there where people hang out at coffee houses or at bars, biker bars. Like, there's always these defined places for everybody. Um, but you still left those places. Right now, we don't leave the internet. We're always online. So it's worse now than it has ever has been, but it's also better because we have so many more things that we can know about. It's just, um, it's just knowing the fact that we can leave the bubble. We can leave the biker bar. We can leave the bluegrass hoedown, right? So I, I think that's half the battle. We just need to realize that we can leave the bubble. We don't need to, but we need to know that we can. All right. Well, I appreciate that. 
And as if you, you've known me for years, and hopefully people as they listen to the podcast will know that that is my summing up tone. Um, and I'm going to take this and say thank you for your time today. We've gone a long time, and hopefully people will make it all the way to this point um, in the podcast. I'm sure that they will. But I want them to leave their bubble of their genre of music, um, whether they listen to bubblegum pop, K-pop, snap crackle pop hard rock i want them to go to what website jeremiah and check out jeremiahcraig.com and i also released a new album called in vacant dates and intentions uh, which has a lot of inspiration about what we've been talking about today not just data but just being sort of in a bubble and seeing different perspectives and that's on spotify apple music google play uh, you name it, I'm trying to be there. And if I'm not there, uh, just email me and I'll try to get there. Awesome. I hope everybody goes and uh, checks it out. They should. It's a, uh, let's just call it a direct order for me to them, to anybody who's listening. Um, and again, thank you for your time, Jeremiah. For everybody to know, Jeremiah will be back in the future. We'll discuss uh, some other topics, but definitely now he has solidified a key spot in the upcoming conversation uh, about leaving our bubbles. Cool. And Thank you so much, David. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And I think we accomplished everything that I hoped to uh, accomplish today. And we made great ground. So thanks for your time, sir. Appreciate it. Have a good one. You too.